0: Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. Romans 7, verse number 7, Bible says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Watch it, says, nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. Verse eight, but sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law of sin, for without law, sin was dead. Watch verse nine. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died and the commandment which was ordained to life I found to be unto death for sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it slew me. Verse 12, wherefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good was then that which is good made death unto me, God forbid, but sin that it might appear sin working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. I, me, you, all of that, that's the problem for Christians. And I cannot live the Christian life. You cannot live the Christian life. Me, me, me living the Christian life, it doesn't work that way. We are doomed to failure. We're doomed to failure if we think that man, the old man, the the, fle- the, the man after the flesh, all that is the capital letter I, <laughs> and it fails every time. I ask you to turn to Galatians 2, let's read it. Galatians 2, look at verse number 20. Bible says, here's here's how you live the Christian life. Okay, not by I, not by me, not by you. You live it by this. I am crucified. Verse 20 in Galatians 2. With Christ, nevertheless, I live, yet not I. You don't do it. Who does it? Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, how do you live it? By the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know what that means this morning? Self-effort is death. Self-sufficiency, wipe it off the table. You live by God's grace. It's His life; He lives the life for you by His indwelt Holy Spirit. So now we have a issue that comes up that Romans seven addresses. How do we as Christians? This is written to Christians. Talk about Christians. How do we as live? How do we live our life for God? Because we we, 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 we all sin. Verse number seven. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Okay. What does the law do? It reveals sin. Just because it reveals sin, does that make the law sinful? It's just revealing that You and I are sinful. Look at Ephesians 5 for a second. Ephesians chapter number 5. Look at the 13th verse. It says in Ephesians 5.13, But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. What does light allow you to do? See things for what they really are. You turn it on in the middle of the night. So you don't stub your toe and walk into a post. And it's a a beam in your house, right? That's why you turn the light. The post has always been there. The light just reveals it. You walk in your sleep, you're going to hurt yourself. And then it says, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Anything that reveals the true nature of something is called what? Light. You get that? You know what Proverbs 6.23 says? For the commandment is a is a lamp and the law is what? Light. It shines the light on us and the law shows us we're not that good, but it's not sin. Romans 7, let's get back to it. Look, verse verse 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? The answer comes back. God forbid. Now watch. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. What did Romans 3.20 say? For by the law is what? The knowledge of sin. That's how we get some knowledge of what sin is by looking at the law. So when sin is committed, guess what's there to show that we're wrong? You got it. Adam and Eve in a in a in a in a in a state of innocence had one command. Temptation came, sin entered. The command that God gave them, was it sinful? No. But when they disobeyed God, what happened? That command revealed the light that they were wrong, and they had to hide themselves from God. We have a God-given conscience. It allows us to have some knowledge of sin. Uh, God gave human government to govern people because they can't govern themselves by their own conscience because of sin. And we find out that that can't help us. But we still know sin through that human governing, right? Don't do this. Do this. We break it. Next, the revelation of uh, the truth that was dispensed was was the Mosaic law. And through that, that nation could know right from wrong. It just revealed sin. But the law itself is not sinful. You've all seen this. You've all done this. Nice bright day. And you've got the windows in the front of the house. The sun is shining through. And what do you see? Dust particles. And, 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 and the mamas and the ladies say, all this dust in the house, we have to dust it. And it's like, well, what do you think? It wasn't there yesterday. It was there yesterday. All the light did was reveal it. But you can't do that in the dark. This is why ladies get carpet instead of having a hardwood floor. Because that hardwood floor, you can easily see all of the dirt. you got to clean it. Well, there's there's dirt there. So you get a carpet. What does the carpet do? It looks like it eats it up or something. It doesn't really eat it up. It just hides it. So you look down and you think, oh, there's no dirt there. No, it's there. You See what the wall does? Not like all of a sudden. Now there's dust particles. No. The dust particles of sin have always been. The law just reveals, reveals. It doesn't mean the light created the dust particles. And it doesn't mean that the law created sin. It just reveals its thing. That's what it's designed to do. I built things. An amateur, and then a professional comes over, puts a straight edge on it, or puts a level on it and says, look, this is crooked. And that's about all that straight edge and that level can do. It's not like he puts the straight edge on it and magically fixes it. He simply says, look, I can't fix what the last knucklehead did. I can only point out and reveal to you that it's off. The law does the same thing. It can't make your kid right. It can't make you right. It just reveals you and I are not like right or crooked. We need to get set straight. Look at verse 7 again, Romans 7, verse 7. Okay, for well, what shall we say then is the law sin? God forbid, nay, I had not known law, but uh, sin, but by the law, we talked about that. Now watch this semicolon that adds the end of the verse here. For I had not known lust. Except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. What commandment is that? The 10th commandment, right? Yeah. Shake your head, yes. It's it's the 10th commandment. Except that is not just what the 10th commandment said. Let's look at it in the Old Testament, and I'm going to go somewhere with this, and I hope we get some help from it. So, I want you to go back. I want us to look at this because there's a point here in Romans 7 that I believe we should get a hold of. Look at Exodus 20 and then look at Deuteronomy chapter number 5. Deuteronomy chapter number 5. And Exodus chapter number 20. Two spots. Exodus chapter 20, we'll look at first. And I want you to notice, it doesn't just say, well, let's read it. Exodus 20, verse number 17. Thou shalt not covet. Now, there's no period. There are a lot of specifics there. So this is given to the nation of Israel. You are not a Hebrew. But we're going to get some truth for the New Testament church out of this. But nonetheless, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maid servant. Well, I wish I had the house that my neighbor had. I wish I had the wife that my neighbor had. At least she cooks. At least she does this. At least she don't bicker. At least she don't. I wish I had the servant that my neighbor had. I wish I had a maid like those people have. Well, you don't. And you know what God says? Thou shalt not it. And this is a powerful commandment filled with specifics nor his ox, nor his ass. I wish I had the livestock that my neighbor had. Well, again, you don't have the livestock that your neighbor has. And God says, Thou shalt not covet. Be happy with your little duck that goes around in the pond and that's all you got. Be happy with it. Okay? Be happy with the little doggy you got running around the yard. That's all you got. Be happy with that dog. And don't covet somebody else's animals. Nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Just in case anybody would say, well, I'm fine with my house and my wife and my maid and my livestock." Just in case anybody would say that, God says, and anything that is thy neighbor's. Now go to Deuteronomy chapter number five, verse number twenty-one. Watch what it says. Neither shalt thou desire. So the Bible will define its terms in the context of what is being spoken about. Covetousness is desire. Desire is covetousness. Why do you have both? So you know what both mean. Neither shalt thou desire thy neighbor's wife, neither shalt thou covet thy neighbor's house or his field. Well, I wish I had as much acreage as the guy down the road. Well, again, you don't. Or his man servant, or his maid servant, his ox, or his ass, or anything that is thy neighbor. And when we're in Romans chapter 7, let's go back and read it again. Look at Romans 7, verse number 7. It ends by saying these four words Thou shalt not covet. You know what there is not in Romans 7? All the specifics. And I believe this is the point of Romans chapter 7. You don't need the specifics. Because when God says to you or to me, thou shalt not covet, you know what happens? A million things stir up in our heart and mind that say, you know what? I think I really want this. So he leaves out the specifics. He just makes... A reference to what? Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy chapter number 5. Why is this important? It's important. Go to Philippians chapter 3. Here's why this is important. Philippians 3. And Acts 23. Philippians 3 and Acts 23. Philippians 3, keep your finger in Romans 7. Philippians 3, regarding Saul of Tarsus, regarding Paul. Philippians 3, verse 6 says, Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul was blameless because he kept, you know what? The specifics. Paul had the specifics down in the law. And he was considered blameless because of that. Watch what it says in Acts 23. He's before uh, the council and he said, and and Paul earnestly content and beholding the council said, men and brethren. I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. His conscience, he's got a good conscience. Saul of Tarsus, he was blameless. It's important because of this. Saul, you, me. As touching some of the specifics. The external thing, oh, we've got them down. We're good at keeping the externals. I never I never desired my neighbor's wife, field, or maidservant, manservant, things. I'm good. I'm good. But Romans 7 isn't about the what is desired. And I believe that's the point for us as New Testament Christians to get a hold of. It's not about the what's. It's about covetousness. God strips away all of the specifics and says, thou shalt not covet. And that's the issue. Every desire of the heart, minus the specifics, every desire of the heart Desire itself is sin. And the problem with Christians is we live by those desires. My heart desires it. I got to have it. It's got to be from God. It's not. We got to be careful of those things. Go to First Peter. First, uh, Second Peter. Rather. Look at another one. Keep your finger in Romans 7. Look at 2 Peter 1, verse number 4. Well, look at verse 2. We'll get some context leading up to this point. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God. If you want more grace and peace in your life? You just That's pretty simple. And of Jesus our Lord, verse 3, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things, you get that? All that pertain unto life and godliness, how? Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. You cannot be a Christian and be depressed. It's only the desires in your heart that you have made up that is causing you to not feel good about yourself. Because God said, this is what God said. He gave everything to you and you trusted in him that you need for life and godliness. And it's not much that you need, but God has given you much. So I was saying at him, little is much when God is in it. God's in it. Little is much. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, praise the Lord, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, here it is, Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Thou shall not covet. It's lust. If you want your will to be in line with God's will. Then your desires of your heart have to be subject to God's desires. Escape corruption. The lust in the world. The covetous desires of the heart. Minus all of the specifics, he says, the desire is the problem. Your heart keeps desire. How do you do that? Simple. Whatever God gave you, be great. Well, I don't like my preacher. Well, be thankful you have a preacher. But look, I'm not trying to be top shelf. I'm only four years into this. I don't like my brother. I don't like my sister. Be thankful you have a brother or sister. They're not trying to win brother of the year. Most big brothers aren't. Most big sisters are not trying to win sister of the year. They're not trying to be top level. They're just trying to be. I don't like the way my preacher does things. Be thankful he does things. Well, he should do it a different way. Be thankful he does it a way. And the preacher said, I don't like my church members. Be thankful they come and sit. (laughs) I don't like the way my church members do things. Be thankful they come and at least do something. The problem with Christians is their desires. Their desires can't be fulfilled And because their desires can't be fulfilled, they have to make it about God. It's not about God. It's about you. It's not about God. It's about me. It's desire that's the problem. Thou shalt not covet. That's what God's trying to teach us in Romans 7. Quit with the covetousness. Look at verse 8, Romans 7. Romans seven verse number eight, but sin taking occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. Well, that's just old and antiquated. You know, you take a stand on this book, the next thing you know, you're put on the uh, on the isolation ward. <laughs> that poor brother, if he just had if he just had some more theological training and education, let's just let's just pray for him. We'll label him as one of those guys. And they just, they're done. They're going to put you out in the isolation world. Concupiscence. The problem with modern scholarship is this. They place linguistic clarity above Holy Spirit conviction. And I'm not going to do that. All words are unclear until you learn them. This is why your child's in the first grade. And then the second grade, because they learn new words. Why do you think the desks for the second graders are so small? Anybody want to guess why they're so small? So you don't fit in them at age 32. You know what the idea is? You learn some of that stuff. You learn those words. Now learn some other words. You don't stay in the second grade. Incupiscence. Look, okay, we'll go back to the fifth grade. Okay, we'll take everybody back to the fifth grade, and we'll get some learning on concupiscence. First off, it's more than sexual desire. It's every godly and sinful desire. So what we see in Romans chapter 7, we have this strong, abnormal desire of lusting for things, fill in the blank. And what is happening in Romans 7 is it is being demonstrated to us as Christians that our fallen inclination, our flesh, is still given over to sin, even though our soul is saved. And every godly and sinful desire that reigns in our body of flesh, it's showing that that concupiscence, it's it's our members yielding to those fleshly desires. And what's happening is it's wrecking havoc on us as Christians. And we need to quit with that. Now, if you go back to Romans 6, we'll look at some context. Because all of Romans 6 leads up to Romans 7. We know that. And then we get to that word concupiscence. Verse number 13. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. And it says, uh, for uh, your members uh, uh, as instruments of righteousness unto God. Look at verse number 14. Uh, Sin shall not have dominion over you. Look at verse 16. Uh, Yield yourselves servants to obey his servants ye are whom you obey whether of sin unto death it's a we see it again it's yielding yourself it's your members verse number 19 it says it again uh where is oh here's in the middle of the verse after the semicolon for as you have yielded your members servants to uncleanness remember all that preaching on that we did and last one look at verse 20 for when you were the servants of sin by the time we get to Romans chapter number 7, we see that concupiscence in verse number 7, it's sin. It's yielding your members to serve that fleshly desires. It's concupiscence. It's sin. Go to Colossians. And First Thessalonians four. Colossians three and First Thessalonians four. We see that word again. Colossians chapter three. Look at verse number five. Mortify, therefore, your members. There it is again. It's in your members which are upon the earth, fornication, well, that can't be concupiscence, uncleanness, that can't be concupiscence, inordinate affection, that can't be concupiscence. Why? Because the next thing listed is evil concupiscence. (laughs) And covetousness, which is idolatry. So it can't just be covetousness. Why am I saying that? Because there are other things that are mortifying your members that are in this list. And if it was all of those things, then it wouldn't have been in this list. So what is it? Well, it's sin, Romans 7. It's evil. And it's in your members in Colossians chapter 3. And it's not necessarily, or rather specifically, all of those other things that are missing. It's listed as itself. First Thessalonians four last one. And I think we'll get an understanding. Watch what it says in verse four. First Thessalonians four verse four. Okay. Back up to. Um, back up to verse one. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus That as you have received of us. How you ought to walk and to please God. So you would abound more and more. There is a way. Christian. To walk. And please God. There is a way. Verse 2. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. God expects things from us as Christians. You love him. Keep his commandments. Verse three, why? You want to know what the will of God is for your life? There it is. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. That's how you are set apart and grown. That ye should abstain from fornication. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Verse five, here it is. Not in the lust of concupiscence. And this specific lust of concupiscence is defined in First Thessalonians 4 as the inability for you and I to possess our members Honorably before God. Because we have other desires. It's a sinful evil lust. We'll finish in Romans 7. We got, I think we got that down. I'll have to wrap up everything tonight. At least verses 9 and 10. We'll wrap up verse 8 right now. Romans 7. Look at verse 8. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law, sin was death. The letter of the law doesn't stir up sin, but as soon as it hits your conscience and your heart, now, what do you got? That thing's stirred up. It's going to do something. But until then, as Christians, that lays inactive and dormant. You can't tell me this morning, most of you have been saved a good bit of time. You can't tell me, I don't believe anybody in this room can honestly tell me that when after they got saved, there came a point in their life, maybe it was six months later, maybe it was a year later, maybe it was two years later. And they were doing that thing for that length of time, whatever that thing was. But all of a sudden, they heard a sermon on it. They read a passage of scripture on it. They attended a Bible study on it. And all of a sudden, it was like that thing started stirring up your heart and your conscience. And then you realized, I should stop doing that. But until that time, what happened? It was just lying dormant. You didn't know, it didn't affect your conscience, your heart, until you had some knowledge of it. That knowledge of that thou shalt not. Now it becomes active. And you got to do something. But without anybody telling you. Without the law. Sin was dead. Now the unsaved person is what? They're dead in trespasses and sin. And the person, We see the unperson as dead. But they see themselves just alive. And active in sinning. don't. This is why we must bring the law to them and show them how exceedingly sinful they are because they're living. We, yes, we see them scripturally as dead, but they see themselves as alive and active and enjoying sin. And we've got to be able to bring the law to show them that. But the law for a Christian, the commandments of God prove that we're not as strong as we think we are. And that we lean towards relying on the flesh and our own desires more than we think we do. And this is the warning that God's trying to give us in Romans 7. Thou shalt not covet for a Christian brings to the light that you and I and we desire and covet and have that concupiscence desires more than we want to admit. And this is why we have a hard time living as a Christian. You've got a serpent, and it's coiled up. And it's fine. Until you have somebody that comes over with a stick and pokes that thing. Now it bites you. And there it is. That's God's command. We're coiled back in our little fleshly, you know, desires that we got right here, compartmentalized we're saved and we're under grace and we're, and we're wondering why we can't make any headway really getting some momentum for God is because of Romans 7. So a preacher or a Christian brother or a Christian sister or a sermon or a Bible study, all of a sudden brings out the stick and pokes that serpent. And now it comes alive. Whoa, I got to do something. I'm not living right. I'm not thinking about this. May us all, God help us all to be careful